everyone. Welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason, and here we delve into those reasons. I'm very excited because this week we have a horror writer named Russ Warnham on the show. We connected on Twitter through a mutual friend, and we talked all about how Russ was into horror from a very early age, and he also told me about the inspiration behind his newest novel, Ghost Flowers, which was just released this year. He tells me what he thinks is scary nowadays and what he thinks was the last truly scary movie to be made. One last thing before we get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. It's so appreciated as it really helps people to find us. I think I've rambled enough, so let's get into my conversation with Russ Warnham. Hey, Russ, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm great. Very happy that it's Friday. Join the club. <laughs> so do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, etc.? Sure. My name is Russ Warnham. I'm from Hampton, Virginia, living in Central Virginia right now. I've been writing since professionally since 1983. And my fourth novel just came out in July, and it is... Ghost flowers, and that's what I guess we'll be talking about today. Yes, definitely. Beautiful. So first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, sure. You had to ask me that one. My favorite scary movie is The Exorcist. It's it's just the classic. It's the first one that just scared me down to my balls. I remember watching the movie in the theater for the first time in 73 and driving home, being driven home, and shaking. I remember looking uh, looking at my hand on the edge of the door, shaking by the lock, by the, the door lock. And, and I said, yeah, that's powerful. So The Exorcist is still my favorite. I do love The Shining, uh, the original. But I have a theory. I, and let's argue if you want. But my theory is the last, The Shining was the last truly great, truly momentous horror movie. And that was 1980. I think all the best horror movies came out of the 70s. Okay, that's certainly a statement. That's I tend arguable. to like I tend to like horror movies that came out after 95. So, right? and I did not find The Shining scary at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's scary and there's eerie. And The Shining to me was a combination of both but not as scary as The Exorcist. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also did not find The Exorcist scary, but I watched it okay. in 2020 for the first time. So I had seen like Scream and Saw and everything right. else before it. So I think it probably had to do with that. The not impact so the movie. Definitely. The impact was watered down. I, yes. Movies, movies were invented to show you something new. So, so were novels. That's where the, mm. the name comes from. And, you know, as they get older, they lose their impact. It just can't be helped. Yeah. Still... <laughs> They're still beautiful. Citizen Kane is still rated the the you know the the best movie ever made. There's a reason for it. But see, there's a difference between the movies that we like and the movies that are really great. People tend to confuse just because you like a movie doesn't mean it's a good movie. It just means you're responding to it. I absolutely adore a Keanu Reeves movie, The Replacements, a football movie. It is not a good movie, but I absolutely love it. So 
that's the difference. You've got to, you've got to see, you've got to be a critic. You've got to, you've got to engage with your inner critic and say, is this a good movie or do I just like it? Yeah. Most of the movies that I really like are not good movies. And I can't do that. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so how did you first fall in love with the horror genre? I know you spoke about this a little bit with your favorite horror movie, but if there's anything else to tell. No, yeah, to I was, I always liked ever since being in elementary school, I always gravitated towards, towards scary and towards, <laughs> towards genre, to be honest. And I, I do not know what, yeah, maybe I do know why. I learned how to read when I was three. My mother taught me how to read when I was three using comic books. Casper the Friendly Ghosts, all the Harvey comic books back then. I don't even know if they're still doing those. Maybe that's the reason why I love both art, art and, and writing simultaneously, because I it was such an initial impact to me when I was three. But that maybe that led me to Dark Shadows on TV, and that just expanded everything to Dracula, to The Exorcist, the Alfred Hitchcock anthology books with pulp stories in them from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And it just it, it expanded from there. I would haunt the bookstores, the few bookstores that we had back in the day. And I was so happy when Barnes & Noble finally opened up when I was still living down in Hampton, Virginia, where there weren't a lot of bookstores in the 90s. Barnes & Noble just exploded. And uh, that was just awesome. I could finally get books <laughs> without having to go to New York City. And believe me, <laughs> we would come to, my wife and I would come, we were girlfriend, boyfriend, girlfriend at the time. People's Express had $25 flights one way to, to and from New York. Oh, and wow. yeah, we'd, we'd make weekends out of it and spend all our money at the, at the Mysterious Bookstore, at Forbidden Planet. Back in the day, there was the science fiction shop, but that's long gone. There's so many, and The Strand, of course. The yeah. Strand is where I got most of my books. Oh, love The Strand. It's still I, there. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it ever closes, I think there will be riots. Yeah. Oh, I know. New York will be up in arms. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been in the rare book room at The Strand? I do not think I have. I don't even know where it is. It's been a long time since I've been there. It's been about nine, 10 years since I've been there. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's upstairs. You have to go through a different entrance. Okay. No, yeah. they just let me downstairs. That's <laughs> I'm a basement dweller. <laughs> so why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane like yourself love the horror genre? Well, I can tell you why me. It's, it's a roller coaster. I love amusement parks. I love theme parks and rides. And horror is when the ones that I like are, are theme park rides. They're roller coasters through the imagination. Uh, other people like, you know, body horror. There's, there's so many genres of horror nowadays that are being published by indies. And they're, they're not for me. I, I like the ones that are rollicking, that are, I like Stephen King. I like Steve Rasnick Tim, the late Peter Straub, Shadowland. What was an awesome ride for me, but you can't get better for me than Salem's Lot, that the uh, King's second book. He started off with a bang. Nice. I've never read it. I've never read any Stephen King because reading horror is a little bit scary okay. to me because I can make up in my head what like picture in my head what's going on. Right. Whereas a movie, I just see it and then I can kind of forget it. No. Um, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. 
<laughs> but see, you can do that yeah. with novels too. I read so much. I'm, I try to read at least a book a week and I'm not always that that good, but I read so much nowadays. I can put a book down and a month later, I will have to ask myself, did I read that? Because I don't remember all the plot. I don't remember yeah. everything that happened in it. Yeah. That happens with movies for me sometimes. I'm like, I yeah. really don't remember how that ended. Well, it's an amusement park ride. It's mind candy. Yeah. And you learn while you, you learn. I've learned more reading and doing art than, I mean, about writing than, you know, than anybody could teach you. And it's through repetition and it's through love and wonder. So, yeah, I forget a lot. I can't <laughs> remember what I had for lunch yesterday. <laughs> I have never seen the original. But okay. it was one of the moments where the vampire is floating at the kid's window, made it onto Shudder's list of 101 scariest I do, moments. I do need to see that. I do I need to see that Shudder documentary. But that said, I was I watched Salem's Lot when it was broadcast. And, wow. you know, it has moments, but it's not good. Okay. All right. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> and no one except the people that listen to this will know. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> So I'm just, I'm curious when you were growing up, I know that my generation had the books, scary stories to, to tell in the dark. Did your right. generation have anything that was comparable? The Bible. That scared the <laughs> hell out of me. It uh, is pretty scary. It is pretty, oh, it's, it's very scary when it, in certain parts. No, we did not have any kind of, the, the closest thing that came to what teens were reading back then, well, were comics. And the Dark Shadows paperbacks. And they weren't all that scary. They were more gothic-infused, written by Marilyn Ross. But Marilyn was actually the wife. The husband, Dan Ross, wrote them under his wife's name. I still can't figure that one out. Hmm. No, there, there wasn't any kind of franchise in terms of books, except for anthologies, the, the Alfred Hitchcock anthologies. It was mostly horror TV shows, some horror comics. Marvel had some wonderful horror comics like Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night. And I know they're making a Werewolf by Night movie. I would love to see a Dracula movie by, Mar by Marvel. That would be incredible if they did it right. Yeah, no, no franchises back then that I know of that I can remember. But then again, you know, I can't remember. <laughs> so nowadays, either movie-wise or real-life-wise, what scares you? Well... Politics scare me. I'm very scared by the ex-president and, and his followers right now. It seems like democracy is at a plateau and it's kind of taking, dropping off like lemmings off the cliff. We've got to fight about that. What scares me is injustice. The, what scares me is this hatred for books that, that some politicos have and non-politicos have too. And it's not just conservatives, it's independents and left-leaners as well, who sometimes have arguments about, about books. The ultimate censorship is, you know, killing somebody, assassination. And it looks like a Democrat assassinated, had assassinated that reporter in, El, in Las Vegas. That's, that's, people are scary. Yeah. yeah. For, forget horror, forget vampires, forget Cthulhu. People are scary as fuck. Agreed. <laughs> so you're a horror writer, as you said in your intro, and your novel Ghost Flowers was released this year on July 8th. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what it's about? Sure. My wife, I was getting ready. I used to work in the newspaper industry and I was getting ready for work one day and my wife is shaving and my wife just 
bursts in the door and says, I have an awful idea. Why don't you write a novel of vampires of Madison County? So at the time, Madison County, the bridges of Madison County, Robert, uh, Robert Waller, I want to say, I can't remember the author's name. Two years hardback on the bestseller list. It is a much beloved book, or it was a much beloved book at the time. And it was awfully written. We would go to parties and talk with friends who were other writers. And just, you know, the, the things he, he wrote, the, sen- the incomplete sentences, the fragments, just, we just laughed about it all the time. And she said, write a bad book. And I said, maybe I can. Well, actually, first I said, no, that's an awful idea. That's, that's just awful. And within five minutes of finishing my shaving, I had the main character's names. I had the plot. I knew where it was going to take place. I knew what year it was going to take place. They all just blossomed in my head. That said, it took, that was 1996 when that happened. And here it is 2022. So it tells you how long it takes for some books to, to gestate. Real life got in the way. I had bills to pay, you know, dogs and cats to take care of, to put through school. Yeah, so uh, real life does get in the way, but uh, it got done. And I realized early on it, yeah, I can write badly, but I didn't want to. So I try, I put my heart into it because I fell in love with the characters. Very cool. How has the reactions been to it? Pretty well, pr- pretty good. I've gotten some reviews on Amazon and Goodreads. Publishers Weekly didn't like it. They said it was the same old, same old vampire story. They've, they've seen it a lot before. But that said, I think it's a, little, a lot different than what they were saying. So I'm not even sure, hate to say this, but I'm not even sure they really gave it a good read. Yeah, but the, the people who gave me blurbs were very kind and I hope very honest. And the reviews that I'm getting after the fact, after Publishers Weekly, are, are pretty nice. Hell Notes, Andrew Byers at Hell Notes gave me a very understanding review without, without giving any spoilers away. I don't mind giving any spoilers away, but I was, I was very happy. That's awesome. Congratulations. I can't wait to read it, even though vampires aren't typically my thing, but I'll. It is, it is a slower, it is not, it's not scary first. So you don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. It's more eerie. Because I really wanted to do something a little bit different. And I, it is a vampire story, but I never used the word vampire in it. I took that technique from Stephen King in Salem's Lot. The first fourth of the book, the first quarter of the book, never uses the word vampire. And that is, that's arguably the best part of the novel. He is building an aura. He, he's building the suspense, trying to show you what the creatures are without saying them. Because, you know, frankly, the word vampire, at least now in the 2000s, has a lot of stigma. I mean, you know, the Count from Sesame Street, you've got Count Chocula, you say vampire, you start thinking of stereotypes. So I didn't even use the word. I wanted to see, that was an experiment. I wanted to see that if I could achieve, can I write an entire vampire novel without using the word? Oh. So I hope I achieved it. You guys tell me. <laughs> That's really interesting. It, it's not that I find vampires scary. It's more that I think the act of drinking blood is just gross. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. But that said, I mean, the act of drinking blood is symbolic. Fangs, it's all... It's all about sex, death, penetration, bodily fluids, and the little death. That's the orgasm. That's what it's all about. That's what vampires are all about. Down and dirty sex. That's what dreams are made of. 
(laughs) (laughs) So can you give me like an elevator pitch for what it's about in case anyone listening isn't familiar with the bridges of Madison County? I'm not. Okay. So, uh, well, Madison County is a story about two people who come together for basically a weekend and never see each other again. They fall in love. So when I, when she said, when my wife suggested that, I said, well, I mean, I, I was thinking, they can't be together at the end. It's not going to be a happy ending after all. And the book grew and became a coming of age novel. So the main character is Summer Moore. She's a diner waitress in in her 20s, stuck in her hometown, which is a rural Virginia in 1971. This has got a very classic rock background. And I've even got a a playlist on YouTube if you, if you want to hear it. And it goes in order with the music that's in the, that is mentioned in the book. So a stranger comes to, to town, a Vietnam vet on a, on a motorbike and an Electroglide in black. That's a reference to Electroglide in blue, which is a movie from the early, very early 70s. And he changes things because he's one of the undead and she is his eternal flame. He recognizes her immediately. So he goes after her and it's a coming of age because she got to break loose from the town. She's got to break loose from her mother. And he opens up the world of possibilities to her. So that's the elevator pitch. Don't expect a happy ending because there ain't one because he drives off it into the sunrise, as, <laughs> as they say. And, that's, and that's, how the, that's how the book ends with her looking at the sun coming up, wondering if she's going to survive. Hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Thank you for that. Sure. Like I said, I'll give spoilers. <laughs> so... How did you get into writing horror? I don't know. I was watching Dark Shadows all the time when it was on, and I kept writing, uh, trying to start a Dark Shadows story, but I was so young, I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to write a story. I didn't know what to do. It wasn't until I was 12 that I wrote a science fiction story and sent it off to Galaxy Magazine, and it was a time travel story and, you know, awful. It was, it was just awful, but you know, I, you gotta, you gotta start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I was always interested in horror and science fiction in genre, everything. I really liked the, at the same time, I also started getting interested in Disney world. I was less interested in Disney, but in the theme park aspect of it, how a fantasy world is built and made to come, become reality. And that's what really interests me with fiction. How do I make real a, a fictional world? So the novel I'm working on, the novel I, work, I wrote before Ghost Flowers, but my agent is trying to sell right now, is, is about the pulps coming to life. What if there were an island where pulp magazine fiction like Doc Savage, The Shadow, Cthul- Lovecraft and Cthulhu, what if there were an island where all of that is still existing in our world and what if we could find it so that's where I I got interested because of my genre upbringing because of dark shadows Star Trek was a huge influence back then and I've got I've I've got a a science fiction novel in me too I did pitch I pitched to Star Trek four times Star Trek the next generation back in the early 90s and I've got a I've got a science fiction story that I a solo play that I wrote for Star Trek that I'm going to change and make it non-Star Trek. But that's based on the legend of the Roanoke settlers who disappeared and Croatoan. That's what the title is, Croatoan. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard of that. 
that story yeah. before. Oh, it's amazing. The, the the Roanoke colonists were left by the by the settlers. They they one portion of them went back to England. They came back to the Roanoke colony to see how they were doing, and the colony was in ruins, and the settlers were dis- had disappeared. The only thing left was the word Croatoan written on a tree. And Croatoan was the name of the Indian tribe there in Roanoke, North Carolina. Hmm. Yeah, so I said, what if I took that legend and put that into outer space? Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope somebody buys the idea so you can... Oh, me too. I, <laughs> I, I got to write it first. It's a telephone yes. now, but I'll make it into a novel. Yeah. So who are your favorite horror writers? Well, I do love King. He is... You know, Harlan Ellison called him sweet, generous. I hope I pronounce that properly. The only, the, the only one of his kind. And he is. He, when he started making headlines and when he started making bestsellers, that's when horror became a real genre. Publishers sat up and take, took notice. And all these, you've, if you've seen Grady Hendrix's book, Paperbacks from Hell, all, every single one, almost every single one of those paperbacks is a result of King's influence on publishing. So I do love King. I love the way he writes. I'm reading fairy tale right now. And it's just, you know, it's like the old guy sitting on the porch says, come here, kid, let me tell you a story. Once he starts talking, he, he sucks you in. Dracula is a personal favorite of mine. I, I don't particularly like all of Stoker's writings, but Dracula is, I have to get almost every edition of Dracula that comes out because everyone is a little bit different from the Frank Frazetta science fiction book club back in the 70s to, uh, well, to this one right here, which is, excuse me, which is a new play based on Dracula. Uh, Yeah, and it's supposed to be quite good. Can you see that? Oh, yeah, it's by Neil uh, Labute. Yeah, I know. I know his work a lot. Okay, very good. Um, Once I finish Fairy Tale, that's, that's the next book I'm going to read. Love William Peter Blatty, The Exorcist, but and Peter Straub. Peter Straub is, was such an intellectual. His, from what I understand, I never, I only met him once. I've met King twice. Talking with, uh, Straub put everything in notebooks. But I mean, so imagine, you know, imagine the iceberg that the Titanic hit. You know how they say it's just the tip of the iceberg on the surface. It's the so the bigger iceberg is down below. That was his notebooks. He knew everything about his characters because he would write a novel for a year before he started writing the novel. He would write notebooks all about the characters and the setting and everything. So uh, he, absolutely amazing writer. I loved Shadowland, liked Ghost Story, but in all honesty, Ghost Story left me a little cold. But Shadowland, uh, Shadowland and some of his other lo- later novels like Coco just blew me away. But still... Stephen King, that's that, that's the way you go, yeah. And you know, another influence. It's not a novel, but the ride, the attraction, the haunted mansion at Disney World oh. and Disneyland. <laughs> it's it's the best. It's so it's so filled with ideas. It's just, and I and I know that some of them, some of the the Imagineers got ideas from C Comics. I can I, I can show you the EC Comics from back from the fifties where the cover images almost identically mirror the images in the Haunted Mansion. Oh, that's so neat. I yeah. actually don't know if I've ever been in the Haunted Mansion. I haven't been to Disney. Wow. I went there when I was 15 or 16, and I went back back in 2014, but I didn't really do a whole lot of rides. So I don't know if I've ever done that. I have friends okay. that go to, I like our mutual friend, Michael, he goes to 
Horror Nights or whatever it is. Yeah, Disney. Universal. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. at the I was at the first two Horror Nights we were living in Orlando at the time. Oh, cool. And I was at the first one. The first one was wild because they did things without licensing characters from other movies. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was. I'm sure I know they were sued because I read about it. <laughs> we were in one part of Universal. So this is year one, and Reagan from The Exorcist comes by, you know, doing doing this thing in the from her waist in the hospital bed as people mm-hmm. are are pushing her through, and vomit spewing, and it was it was awesome. And they did not have the rights to do to do The Exorcist. That's Warner Brothers, not Universal. Uh, then we were there for the second, and we were there. I think we were there for the twentieth. Yeah, and that was fun too. Things. You know, it it expanded and got a, became a smoother experience. But I did miss the 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 raw vitality from that first year. Yes, yeah, it was a little more wild and woolly. <laughs> they even had tarot readers doing tarot cards. Oh, nice. Yeah, but you know, they they gave my my wife a reading and said, "You're going to live on a peninsula." Well, we were on Florida. That's a peninsula, so <laughs> that's not much of a psychic. But yeah. Yeah. Well, Taro is not being a psychic. So, well, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have any ideas in the works for your next novel? Yeah, I want to, well, I've been asked to write a sequel to, to Ghost Flowers, and I've got to let that gestate. I, I know a little bit about what happens to the main character, but she has not told me as much as I need to know. And I, and I don't say that lightly because, you know, I, when I was writing Ghost Flowers, I wanted to take her in one direction and she basically said, no, you're not going to do that. And, I, and she would tell me what songs she liked because I, I liked some classic rock. I was not into, into rock back then in the day. It became later. And I thought she would like this song or that song. And she said, no, no, I like this one over here. She was, uh, my kid, Summer is into Janis Joplin. I, I can't stand Janis Joplin. She told me that, yeah. It's not that I can't stand her, it's just I never got into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, maybe a sequel to Ghost Flowers, but the one I really want to write is called Shades, and that is a, it's a horror novel about basically a supernatural hurricane. That's, that's what's going to happen at the end. And I get to, dist- I love the town of Miami. I, lo- I went there for grad school. I absolutely adore that town. And in shades, I'm going to destroy it. And I, I take sadistic glee <laughs> saying that I, I get to destroy my favorite buildings and I get to flood the University of Miami. So this is this is going to be fun. That said, it is it's a story of it's four different novellas put together with a, a frame. And the frame is the actual story of the hurricane. And all of them are going to be interconnected. And I was even, I was working on it. This doesn't happen. This can't happen in real life. But that's the route. That's the route the hurricane is going to take. It's going to take a hard left, yeah, or hard right over the Yucatan and come back and destroy, go up the Keys and destroy Miami. Yeah, so that it really can't happen with with the climate, but it can happen if it's supernaturally controlled. Uh, so I'm going to destroy Miami with shades and I'm working on with, I've got a writing partner and we're writing, we're starting a cozy mystery series just to see if we can. And uh, that is, uh, that's up to chapter nine right now in outline stage and up to chapter four in, in physical pages. Yeah. Oh. So 
So that's what I'm doing right now. A little bit of everything. And I've got a whole list of stuff I want to do. I want to do a basically a haunted amusement park story. And I've got an idea for a gentleman just came out with a book of poetry for all about Disney. He's the poet laureate of Nebraska, Matt Mason. And I don't write a lot of poetry. I write a little bit and I don't know if I'm any good, but I want to see if I can, if I can write a little horror poetry, a little Disney, <laughs> Disney-esque poetry, see what happens. Oh, very cool. All of that sounds very interesting and unique. Well, thank so, you. Yeah. Look forward to hearing more about that in the future. Yeah. So what is your favorite subgenre in horror? You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. I like a little bit of everything. I, I want something that intrigues me intellectually, but at the same time, it's got to hit me viscerally. I'll tell you what I don't like. I, I, I don't like, I don't particularly care for body horror. I don't like, even though I've got some blood and a little gore in a couple, in one scene, two scenes in Ghost Flowers. That's not what I'm into. I'm not into horror doesn't have to be about killing. I like the supernatural aspects of it. I don't particularly like the the blood and death aspects of it, even though I know that, you know, that's all part of the game. Maybe it can't be separated, but yeah, I don't know that I have a particular favorite subgenre. I know that there are several and they're all being published by these indie publishers. I am intrigued. Tell me if you tell me if you've read Man Fuck This House. Oh no, I haven't, but it sounds oh. really interesting. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's apparently it's a haunted house book, and <laughs> and that's that's what one of the main characters says. And I can see that, you know. Yeah, so right now I do not have a particular favorite genre. I just have some that I, I don't like. I don't particularly like the bloody ones. Okay. Yeah, I can yeah. definitely relate to you there. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of body horror. Yeah. Um, Give me fun. Stephen King has said, by the way, uh, Dance Macabre, his book about horror, is probably the best nonfiction book about horror that I've ever read. And I would love for him to to take the existing manuscript and add to it. I I think there are so many things that can now be said that make that a very huge and very important book. But in it, he talks about the, the, the similarities between humor and horror and and I completely agree. I, I, we need more of them. I think that's what, one of the reasons why I like the Haunted Mansion so much. But it's, all, it's also humor, horror. It's also very human and, and humane. I, I think we need more human aspect in horror than the, the killing aspect. Yes, I love the movie Halloween. I love Michael Myers. But I don't necessarily care for the slasher genre because you know it's... Until it gets humorous and gives you a good story, like the original, oh, what was the one about the pranks? My Bloody Valentine? Was it, or was it Valentine's Day? I can't remember. From, from the 80s. Maybe Valentine's Day? Yeah, sure. I think it's Valentine's Day. One where it ends up where the whole, all the killings, everything at the end has been one big prank. Oh, are you talking about April Fool's Day? That's it, April Fool's yeah. Day. Thank you. Yes. yes. Thank you. Yeah. I love that movie. I liked the end of it, but I found, yeah. it, before, I found it pretty boring. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, do you have any favorite horror movie directors? I used to love George Romero. John Carpenter, I liked at the beginning, but I not so much later on. Still, I, I love Steven Spielberg. I still don't know for a fact 
that Toby Hooper directed Poltergeist. It yeah. feels so Spielbergian. And I even, a writer, F. F. Paul Wilson at a Necronomicon in the, in the late 80s said that he was on set. And, and he's saying this in public. So he was on set and Toby Hooper did not direct it. Steven Spielberg directed Poltergeist. Okay, that's fine. So Spielberg is a horror director. I guess he would, he, he's awesome. I, I tell you, Brian De Palma, he is, oh. yeah, uh, Carrie is the best Stephen King adaptation so far, as far as I'm concerned. And he's a hell of a director. The way he makes a camera move so slowly, but so importantly to, to show you what's important and to give energy to the shot. No, no other director does that. And I know it's harder nowadays because everything has to go through a computer for shots to match up, yeah. uh, for special effects, the digital effects to match up. Nevertheless, watch the movement of the camera in the in Carrie. Watch the movement of the camera in The Fury with Amy Irving and Kirk Douglas. Incredible. And, and yes, you can you can say it's the cinematographer and he's part of it, but it all goes through the mind of the director. And De Palma had some wonderful horror films back then. I miss him. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Does your wife like horror movies? She does. Her favorite, her two favorites are Psycho and Halloween, the originals. Yeah. Nice. Very yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm married to a fellow geek. I love nice. it. Nice. <laughs> so an article came out in 2020 that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that was the case? Oh, that's interesting. I, ha- I hadn't seen that. Because we're more, seriously, people think horror movie fans are not well adjusted, that there's something wrong with them. I've had the same reaction in stores where parents don't want their kids looking at comic books because those are for weirdos. And no, we're more adjusted because we can deal with with fears better, probably. Lockdown is nothing to us when we think, when we've seen movies about girls being chained to the wall and and torture being done. uh, Oh, to escape, you've got to get the key out of your shoulder, but you're going to have to cut it out yourself, Uh, you know. We've got this. I think we got this down. Yeah. I dealt with lockdown. Great. I loved it. I did. My wife and I did mysteries. We watched movies. We read. We slept in. It was awesome. Yeah. Agreed. More lockdown. I love lockdown. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So when you're just hanging out and looking for something to watch, how do you choose what horror movie to watch? It's got to be, like I said before, it's got to be intellectually intriguing to me. I, I'm finding a lot of the stuff that's coming out is extremely derivative. It, it's, it, yeah, of course, they have to follow the money of the studios. So they make things, they, they make movies for the 16 to 24 year old crowd. And I, I need something a little more intellectually challenging than that. So I'm really hoping that the new Salem's Lot is going to just blow me away. So I'm and these things that I'm seeing on Shutter. I'm paying for Shutter. I'm never watching it, and, and because yeah, so, but Salem's Lot. I want to see Midnight Mass on Netflix. Blew me away. Yeah. I had no idea what was gonna what was gonna come, and that gave me one of my when the when the antagonist when the monster stood up and flew across the screen for the first time. That gave me a nice little a nice little frisson of terror. That was good. <laughs> I need more uh, Flanagan. Yep. Flanagan, yeah. I need more Mike Flanagan. He's good. And I enjoyed the uh, Haunting of Hill House, the the one he the first one he did. I did not care for the episodes that I saw of Bly Manor. Yeah. 
but I love all the actors. He did an incredible job with Midnight Mass and with Hill House. That said, I don't. I just look for something that's going to blow me away. I keep hearing really good things about Black Mirror, although I haven't seen it yet. Mm. And Evil, I haven't seen Evil yet. Yeah, I haven't watched Evil yet too. But yeah, I hear it's really good. All uh, right, so I'll give Black, a Black Mirror. I watched the first episode and I won't go back. So people keep oh. telling me just get past the first episode, but I don't want to. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what What happened? Why Why don't you want to go back? The Prime Minister of England is forced to have sex with a pig on TV. Oh, yeah. So, that's a good reason not to go back. <laughs> not for me. Yeah, that's, see, that's that's not for me either. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not into the human-animal thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was never one for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I didn't find it scary. So, really? Okay. Yeah. I just remember seeing the uh, seeing the commercials. I never cared about going to, to see it at the drive-in. Or na- nowadays, don't care. Used to love the drive-in, going to drive-ins and seeing the weirdest movies. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's long gone. Yeah, we, we don't have drive-ins in New York City, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might have one upstate, though. Yeah, we probably do. Yeah. But I don't have a car, so I'm not going. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you, you don't need one in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again? There are. There were two. The first one was Fun House. My wife and I were in the theater and walked out of it because she used to, she, she, she taught retard, special ed. So she taught retarded kids for a long time and we loved them. And Fun House is basically about a giant retarded guy killing people. And we walked out. It, it just is it, wrong sensibilities. Then there was, I, the only other one I ever walked out on was Suspiria, the original Suspiria by Dario Argento. And I like Jessica Harper. I like his directing. I need to see that one again. So, but we left because of the copious amounts of blood. It was just blood spilling and we didn't know where this was going. So we just walked out. So those are the only two, but I will give Suspiria another chance. I will never give Funhouse another chance. Understandable. Have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? Yeah, the Alien, the original Alien in 1979. It was the first movie, and I mean this literally, when they when somebody says you're sitting on the edge of your seat. Well, I found myself sitting on the edge of my seat in some spots in the theater, and I actually had to say, sit back. It's just a movie. <laughs> so the original Aliens was just incredible. And I loved the original Alien, excuse me, Aliens, completely different movie. All, I would say that's equally incredible, but obviously not a horror movie. A different perspective. But Alien is, Alien is a wonderful horror movie, just like Jaws is a wonderful horror movie. People don't think about that, just like people don't think that the Blues Brothers is a musical. It is. <laughs> I just saw Jaws in IMAX last weekend. Oh, really? How was it? I would it, love to do that. It was good to see an IMAX. I had only seen it once before. I okay. thought it was a little too long, which I know is a very unpopular opinion. But well, that's all right. <laughs> Imagine if they'd really adapted all of the novel with the sub, the, the mafia subplots and yeah. the cheating, the infidelity. Yeah. Yeah, Spielberg did a good job, and Carl Gottlieb, the writer, distilling the essence of that of that story. I will I will take your word for it. I just knew that I was like, why am I still just looking at these three guys on a boat? And right. They get off the boat. <laughs> so, okay. but that's just me. I yeah, maybe it's my attention span. 
know. It could be, but it could also be it's a 1975 movie, and here we are in 2023, 2022. <laughs> I don't even know what year it is. Yeah. <laughs> so what has your favorite horror movie been so far that you've seen in 2022? Uh, I that's a real good question because I don't know how to answer it. I haven't seen a lot. I've been reading more than anything, and I have not gone to the theaters. I've yeah, I'm, it's it's a little scary still. Yeah, but have you watching, watched anything recently? Yeah, not really scary because I can't find anything to hold my interest. <laughs> I'm waiting for the next Mike Mike Flanagan. I think that's Midnight Club, isn't it? Yeah, I do want to see that. No, basically, I'm, I'm, what I'm watching is a lot of old stuff or some old stuff. We just recently watched Theater of Blood with Vincent Price, which I think is his best movie about a, an actor who everybody thinks is dead, but he's really gone mad and he's killing his critics. Love uh, loved that movie. Nice. But yeah, no, mostly I'm, I'm, I'm reading. Cool. Yeah. Um, are there any horror movies that you're looking forward to seeing in the rest of 2022? Well, I don't, like I said, I didn't want to see the Mike Flanagan, the Midnight Club. Mm-hmm. Um, there, yes, there are a couple of things, the titles of which escape me. I'd, ha- I'd have to do some research and go and go on and find out what they are. But the New Salem's Lot, obviously, I don't even know who's in that. But just that the original was done in 79 and, and it's taken, well, they did a remake with uh, Rob Lowe for, for TV, which I watched part of and was just, they slowed it down so much. It was just, it, it did not capture the essence of the book at all, I thought. But uh, yeah, I do. I, Salem's Lot's the only one that I know of that I really want to watch. Cool. Yeah. Are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like? Well, my wife still hasn't seen The Exorcist because she knows it's going to scare the crap out of her. <laughs> yeah. I, I like some movies that people haven't heard of. Like, I love The Monster Squad from, from the 80s, uh, but people don't really know about it. It's like they, mm-hmm. somebody took the Universal Monster movies and put them into a, like a, a Goonies type adventure. Uh, that, was, that was great. No, I, I just, I'm finding things that I never expected. And I don't, I'm not really looking for them. So I'm hoping something, it's, that's what I really like. I like going into a bookstore. I like watching TV. I like watching movies that just, I didn't expect were going to be good, but they just blow me away. And I'll be honest with you. I'm, it's not just horror. It's everything. I'm, I'm getting into spy movies that I've never been into spies before. I found out that I love heist movies like Ocean's Eleven. That's that's just you know mind-boggling to me that I'm I'm liking things like this that I've never liked before. Two things I won't that probably won't like are westerns and war movies. I'm just I'm just not into those. But you know, make prove me wrong. Give me some titles. I, I'd I'd love to be blown away. Yeah. Are there any books that you're looking forward to reading in the rest of 2022? Well, fairy tale. Yeah, I've got some people have a TBR pile, a to be read pile. Yeah, I have a to be read table. It's it's right there. And it's about 50 books that I that I need to read. The Appeal by Janice Hallett. That's an epistolary mystery novel. So it's a mystery told in letter format, text format, emails, a little bit of everything. A Haunted Road Atlas. My wife bought me. It's Uh, yeah, I read that. Oh, it's yeah, good. yeah. It's good. Yeah. I was going to say, it looks great. I just read a book from the early 70s that I'd never even thought about reading before called The Anderson Tapes. It was made into a movie with Sean Connery and Diane Cannon back in the day. And that was a heist movie. 
which I, I still need to see, but the book is fine. This one looks great to me. I just received this. This is an updating of the Universal Monsters. Let's take oh, cool. all the monsters and write short stories about them. Oh, cool. But just bought that. And a classic that I've never read that it's about time I read, Carmilla, you know, classic of lesbian vampirism in the 1800s, probable lesbian vampirism. <laughs> so tons of stuff. A nonfiction book about Star Trek just came out. Phasers on Stun. Huge Star Trek fan back in the day. I was at the third ever Star Trek convention, which blows oh, wow. me away. Yeah, <laughs> that was fun. Awesome. My growing up, my dad was a huge, huge Star Trek fan. So very nice. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? Oh wow! I, it's already been done, but I would remake The Shining. Kubrick did his own version of Stephen King's book. I I think it can be done better, and not for a TV version. I the TV version with uh, Rebecca De Mornay. Was there one after that? I don't know. Was that one like the Rose Red or whatever it was? No, Rose Red was a completely different okay. story, which I, I was enjoying that. I love the setting. I mean, the set design. That, that was gorgeous. Yeah, that was in 1997, the Rebecca De Mornay one. Okay. Yeah, very good. That, it was only those two. So. Okay. I would love to see The Shining redone and on Netflix or, or streaming because give it adequate time to build, but, but don't pad it out. So I don't need 10 episodes of The Shining, maybe four, maybe five oh. um, yeah, or six. Yeah, w- whatever, whatever it naturally takes, because, you know, there's one scene I've never I've always I don't remember them doing the, the wasp, the wasp nest scene. And uh, they didn't do it in, in Kubrick's version. I don't think they did it in the De Mornay version. I would just like to see that done adequately. I'd love to see another one book that I love is Night of the Hunter by Davis Grubb. Robert Mitchum played uh, in the movie version, played a, an evil preacher with love tattooed on the fingers of one hand and hate on the other. And he was a criminal. I would love to see a, a redo of that. That's, it's horror-esque. Davis Grubb was a, also a supernatural story writer back in the day. And he wrote 12 Tales of the Supernatural, lovely anthology, and which was just some, some lyrical supernatural stories in there that they should be adapted for, for movies too, or for TV at least. Awesome. Fever Dream by George R.R. R. Martin. I'm, I've got a, an article coming out in Mystery and Suspense magazine. It's online and it's in print, but that should be out in a couple of months. And I'm writing about vampires in the South. We have the Southern Gothic motif in the South, but no, I don't think anybody had ever written a book, a story about, uh, forgive me, not a story, an article about vampires in the South. And I talk about Fever Dream. Fever Dream is George R.R. Martin, and he's already written years ago. He wrote a screenplay for Fever Dream. I'd love to read it, but it's a steamboat journey. A gentleman approaches a steamboat captain in 1857 and asks him to build him the the grandest steamboat ever. He has his own motives, and the steamboat captain has his own motives. But it is a wonderful story of the South and and the steamboat era, and and it's so evocative. It's something that you wouldn't expect George R. R. Martin to have written because he's written these epic fantasies with uh, dragons and ice walkers and what have you. This is just a little story about a, a steamboat guy and a vampire sailing down the Mississippi. And it is beautiful and it is lyrical and it's 
and it's violent and savage at the same time. I would love to see that adapted. Awesome. Yeah. So my final question is, if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? Oh, one horror villain. Interesting. Well, let's see. I wouldn't want to be killed, but I want to be able to talk to him. Interesting. You know, Dracula would be good to talk to. And he, and he might actually, no, nah, no, nah, he'd end up sucking you. Jack Nicholson from The Shining. I could see, I could see talking to him. Yeah, it's uh, Michael Myers would just sit there and do nothing. Yeah, Freddie would just make bad jokes. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm going with I'm going with Jack Torrance. Awesome. Well, thank yeah. you so much for being here. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and your books? Oh, absolutely, sure. Ghost Flowers is my fourth book. I don't think you can find my my other books unless you go on online. I have three Dungeons and Dragons books uh, written in the '90s, and one I saw two years ago was posted. And it was $800. And I don't know why. Yes, it's weird. $800 on Amazon. That's just not right. So don't get that book. Get this one. This is the new one. This is the important one. And it actually has my name on it. Ghost Flowers. And you can get it at some Barnes and Nobles. But mostly it's online. And you can get it from Amazon. And it's from Journal Stone Books, which is an imprint of Ingram. Ingram is the probably the country's largest distributor. They're now publishers. So... Please tell me what you think once you read it. Leave me a Goodreads review, good or bad. Just be honest. And I hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, awesome. I can't wait to read Ghost Flowers, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Allison. I appreciate it. Take care. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There? I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Russ Warnham, and thanks again to Russ for coming on. I'll leave links to his socials and where you can pick up your copy of Ghost Flowers in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod or on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at Who's There PC at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and get boosted. Thank you.